0: And now, the Disney Parks Podcast infotainment segment. As show writer for Walt Disney Imagineering, our guest today helped create the magic for many of the world's most beloved attractions, including the Jungle Cruise, Epcot's World Showcase, and the former Great Movie Ride, and so many more. In fact, our guest is actually going to be joining us now uh, on a a monthly basis to discuss all things behind the magic. He'll bring us great fun and insight on how Disney creates its unique magic. Please welcome to the Disney Parks Podcast, Mr. Brian Collins. Welcome to the show, my friend.
1: Hey, it's great to be
0: here. Thank you,
2: Tony. John, looking
1: forward to it.
0: <laughs> and there's the buttons. Uh, All right, yeah, yeah, so uh, <laughs> so we're so glad that you're here, and we're super yeah. excited that you wanted to to be a part of this. And and I can't wait to hear uh, over the next several months the the, the stories that you're going to share. Uh, we just had a little discussion before we start recording, guys. We've got some exciting stories coming uh, about some of the most beloved attractions at Disney. So uh, I can't wait to hear them, and I can't wait to experience them. Neither can I. Brian. Can't
1: wait to hear them either. <laughs> i can make stuff up all day all
0: right Uh, that sounds great i'll make it up as i go yeah right
3: (laughs) oh gosh so Brian, we like to ask everybody that comes on is like how did your journey with disney begin how did it all start you know were you in the college program or (sighs) were you at college and they handpicked you what was the uh what's the story
2: Probably um goes back to a lot of money and groveling. Um but before that <laughs> um so I was I was actually born in Miami, grew up in South Florida and it had been the the very first time I'm gonna age myself here, but the very first time I ever went to was in nineteen seventy two. So within a year of the park opening and you know, what kid doesn't walk down Main Street and you look at the castle and go in the attractions and say, Man, wouldn't it be kind of cool to be someone who thinks all this stuff up? And I, I never really, you know, and I, I wouldn't say I like set my sights from that point forward on um, being an Imagineer. Um, I don't know if I even knew what Imagineers were, to be honest, way back then. Yeah. Um, but as I went on with school and, and college and everything, I my d- my degree was in advertising. And I always thought I'd be an advertising copywriter. I always loved to write. <laughs> and, <clears throat> Tried to get a job at an ad agency, um, couldn't get one, and boy, are they sorry now. Just <laughs> <laughs> um, couldn't get a job at an ad agency, uh, but I wound up getting a job at a video production company in Miami, <clears throat> and uh, they hired me as a scriptwriter. I didn't know a thing about video production, and just kind of started going out with the producers and directors and learned how to do that, and eventually wound up. Producing and directing the in-flight entertainment program for Eastern Airlines, uh-huh. um, if you remember them, sponsor of if you have wings, have wings. right? Yep. <clears throat> one one of the originals at, at the Magic Kingdom. Yeah. And so, um, Eastern Airlines went bankrupt. Moved up to Orlando because I have like a whole year of experience at the White Belt, right? And <clears throat> to make a long story short. um, thought that they, you know, be ready to kind of hand me the golden key to Main Street. And uh, they're like not so fast, Hotshot." Yeah. And I wound up getting a job at the front desk of the Contemporary Resort. <laughs> <My>. <laughs> so it's checking in guests.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: and uh, it actually turned out to be a great job because that's where I kind of like cut my teeth on the Disney culture. I learned about Disney guest service. I learned... Mm-hmm how to network within the company, and all those things. And my timing happened to be, like, really good because it was just a few months before Disney Disney, MGM Studios were opening up. And back in that time, you know, that's when we were on my watch, and um, Jeffrey Katzenberg, so there was a lot of excitement uh, within Walt Disney World. Uh, Lots of great new attractions and growth going on. So within a few months of getting my job um, at the Contemporary, I I started to kind of network in the company and work my way into other jobs that were were related more to my background and skills. So I started like writing articles for Eyes and Ears, which is the company newspaper. Um, I produced, yeah, produced um, some internal corporate training videos. I Worked with the marketing department and openings of new attractions and resorts and stuff. And while all of that was going on, I I also worked as a production assistant at the Disney MGM Studios back then. MGM Studios, right? uh, Because they were still very much a very active studio with a lot of production going on. Um, So uh, all these things kind of led me to um, start looking into well maybe I, you know looking imagineering right me and like a million other people <laughs> and i applied you know a few times and network try you know got the names of some people in california Sent resumes out got rejected a couple times um at one point i'll tell you a very funny story <laughs> so at one point i figured well i've got nothing to lose here um right. that they, they had actually um had scheduled an interview for me and were making travel arrangements and everything for me to go out to California and, and interview with, with WBI. In about a week or so before that, they, they pulled the plug on the interview for whatever reason. And um I, I was like really obviously kind of frustrated. I was like, oh man, I can't believe that happened. So probably the act of a desperate man, I would not recommend this to anyone listening out there. But I went out, this is a true story. I went out, I bought a pair of the Mickey Mouse ears, you know, traditional Mickey Mouse ears. Right. And I ripped off one of the ears.
1: I stuck it in
2: a, uh, a ransom note. I cut out the individual letters. And it said something like, want to be a Disney Imagineer, am holding corporate symbol as hostage, willing right. to negotiate. And I stuck it in there, sent it out to. Uh, WDI to their HR department, hoping that either whoever got it would either have a great sense of humor or I was never, you know, like our classes were going to show up knocking on my door in that BDN. Right. And uh, fortunately, they had a good sense of humor. And um, shortly after that, I met the uh, creative director at, at um, WDI here in Florida. And um, he gave me a test assignment because he liked it. And... Right. Uh, brought me on as a show writer. and yeah. And the rest, as is, it says, history.
3: Yeah. It was a yeah. piece of cake. Easy. Yeah. Simple it's very dirty. interesting. Your story of the Mickey or, uh, reminds me of Jason yeah. Grant uh, telling his story. Yeah. Uh, he kind of did something very similar. He created something yeah. and then sent it to Tony Baxter. <laughs> and that's how he got, you know, Tony Baxter's attention. Yeah. And then uh, kind of got uh, hired on, too. So. Yeah. I guess you have to be a creative and do something creative. And that really then, you know, sparks the people go, oh, maybe we should kind of take a look at this guy. Maybe he's not that crazy. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Uh, Talk about uh, writing. Uh, I was thinking about uh, another person we had on the show, uh, Greg, a a bear, a bar. I think he worked for Yellow Shoes. He used to write all this stuff on like the chocolate bars or the uh, tea tins. You know, all the yeah. kind of, you know, little things like that. So uh, yeah, I was thinking yeah. about about that when you were uh, talking about it You know, it's, it, it's kind
2: of funny. After I moved on from Imagineering, I've always, you know, ever since then had like a dot, dot line relationship back to Disney and, and not even necessarily Imagineering, but just Disney in general. And at yeah. one point. I was actually doing a lot of contract work, like write, creative writing work for the Disney merchandise department. Yeah. And I think I wrote the uh, blurbs for every Disney postcard that there ever was back in like the early 90s. Um, <laughs> I wrote copy for the back of uh, uh, VHS, you know, back then when they still have VHS yeah. as well. so I'm going to age myself. Right. Um, but, but like liner notes for that. I wrote slogans for T-shirts. Wow. Um, wow. Probably my most famous one was the Tower of Terror T-shirt that had Mickey looking at the elevator doors opening up. And on the back, it said, I suggest you take the stairs. So
3: <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Back when Disney did oh, that in-house and didn't contract it out. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so talk about that. So, you know, what does, you know, in your bio, we said showwriter. Right. So what right. does a show writer do? Uh, you know, the only person I know that uh, the only other person I know has that title is Jason Sorrell. Yeah. Who was, you know, he was a show writer and he did that over at Disney and then went to Universal to, uh, right you know, until recently. So that's, you're the only two people I know that have show writer (laughs) in your titles for Imagineering.
2: Yeah. So a show writer is actually a very well defined role within the company. Um, actually, um, Marty Sklar kind of started as a show writer way back in the in the day. Um, so when we talk about show writing, it's not writing traditional shows like stage shows. It's writing for the Disney show as a whole, right? Right. Um, so it's scripts and spiels for the attractions. It's any kind of like plaques in the park, um, creative signage, any kind of creative writing that uh, they might need anywhere um, goes through the show writing area. Yeah, so so that's what I did, and um, you know, back in the day, again, when the studios were very active with production, and you could take like the shuttle tour or you could take the Mm walking tour, um, that what whatever the guests saw on any given day could change depending on what production was in the park, so the scripts had to constantly be updated with current information, yeah, um, so that was a big part. Actually, what I did back then also for, like, the animation studio when they were still actively, um, you know, hand inking animation here and working on uh, all the, you know, second-wave Disney classics like um, Little Mermaid and Roland and Beauty and the Beast. Right. So, um, keeping those scripts fresh and and things like that. So,
1: yeah.
3: How often did that stuff get updated? Like, say, the, you know, backstage tour at MGM back in the day? Um, because they, I would say, I, if I remember, things always were changing and moving because they were yeah. still using it as a studio. Yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely. They they were. Um, I, I would say at least weekly. Yeah. To be honest, wow. um, sometimes even more depending on what was going on. Um, you know, if a smaller production was coming in, or if a production was coming in. To set up, um, I mean, usually, I mean, obviously, we would work very closely with park operations and production operations, so we'd have a handle on on stuff that was coming in um but like when the mickey mouse club came in i remember oh, yeah. you know hanging out on the mickey mouse set all the time and chatting with the Musketeers and you know mm. whoever with these spears and you know right. these guys would have gone on
3: yeah. back
2: then they were just you know kids kids
3: yeah yeah that's crazy busy
0: well what was the uh what was the very first major project that you worked on so once you got through that the initial phase you you got through got into disney imagineering and you were doing show writing for around the parks what was the first major project not that well show writing around the parks isn't major but what what major? it's actually
2: um I, i guess there are a couple of things that come to mind um so the very first assignment i was given actually like kind of like my test assignment was the script for the tour of the animation building oh. um my, my my boss was a guy by the name of mike west great guy um was with wdi for a long long time and, and he too went to the other side and did great things over at universal nothing bad to say about them i mean they're right stuff's fantastic. But anyway, Mike um, gave me the script for the animation building tour, and he said, you know, we're, we want to see if we can freshen this up. It's just kind of a little flat. See what you can do with it. And that was kind of like my test design, and I brought it back and, and I guess he liked it. And that turned out to be my very first script that was used as an Imagineer. I, I didn't know it at the time, obviously, when, when I was writing it. but yeah. um, But in terms of bigger than that um you know the the shuttle walking tours the great movie ride It's probably the most high profile thing i did yeah um i, I plus the script for the great movie ride and i worked on some of the staging inside the attraction um i also wrote a little bit of the albert Wall radio broadcast at the jungle cruise yeah uh, so that was kind of fun wow yeah. wow so
0: wow. yeah so when you were, when you would write a script for the, like the animation courtyard or the animation tour, excuse me. Yeah. So you would write it. How soon would it actually hit the floor with the cast members?
1: Um.
2: It was usually fairly quick. I mean, you know, I, I would write the scripts. They would go through Mike for his approval.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, you know, as long as he signed off on it, Um. I mean, there were times where, you know, we had still going out the same day almost wow. if, if we had to um you know other projects you know maybe would go over a little bit more scrutiny like the great movie ride stuff yeah. you know had to be looked at by some people higher up right um uh the um Albert Wall radio broadcast uh, that had to go into production and, and be mixed together with all the sound effects and, and sure. voice out. That was done in California, yeah. so so that took a little bit longer. So so really just kind of depended. Um, yeah. Sometimes I wouldn't even necessarily know. I uh, I remember one time I wrote some scripting for uh, the the Tiki Bird attraction. Oh. Used to have what they called the the Barker Bird out front. Yes. Which was a tiki bird that would like talk to the guests and like real kind of smart alecky kind right. of stuff. And at one point they kind of changed Very the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which you know, right up my alley. Yeah. So so um I, I got to write some stuff for the Barker Bird and right. you know, I turned that in and I didn't really even know it you know, when it went into uh Production. Other than I was walking through the park one day and I saw him spew, spewing out my words, and I was like, "Wow, that's <laughs> that's kind of fun."
1: Right. So it, right. it, it really depends.
3: So uh, we'll just stick on the animation thing because uh, I kind of get into the other better stuff. But so do they? What's the framework that they say? All right, this is what we're looking for, Brian. Like they say, this is what it's about. Go. Or do they say, you know, it's got to be within this framework of, you know, we're trying to tell the story of this, that, and the other thing, you know, make it funny, make it entertaining, put sarcasm in. Are there guidelines, you know, or they just kind of give you the blue sky thing and just say, bring something back and we'll figure it out from there. And I'm sure Um, that probably varied by project.
2: It it did. Most (laughs) of the time, though, um, you're working within... I'm not going to say the constraints, but, you know, at Imagineering, everything we do is about telling the story. Right. What, what's the story? And it's not like once upon a time story. It's, you know, the, the, what, what's the, the entertaining, um, message that we want to give? What's mm-hmm. the environment it's being told? And all of that stuff kind of blends together into the overall story. Yeah. Um, so that's the very first thing. When I was given the great movie ride, for example, to plus Listen, that that attraction had been open already for probably two or three years, and um, it was just that there were some some places within the script that they felt needed to be freshened up. Some of the staging had to be updated. When uh, you know, another little funny story, but but when the Great Movie Ride first opened up, so um, boy, the spoiler alert if uh, you know you never went on it, but you know, I can't shame on you now, if you so. haven't.
3: Right. And too bad now. Right. (laughs) But but anyway,
2: (laughs) when you went on the great movie ride, you were in
1: one
2: one of two ride vehicles that Mm -hmm. were moving along. And at one point, you came into what we call Gangster Alley. And the uh, vehicle in the front would keep going through a set of doors to the next scene, Mm -hmm. which was a Western scene and either wh- whichever scene you were in, either a gangster, uh, uh, 1930s, let's say, gangster would come in and hijack the vehicle, or Western bandit. So, right. um, when when the Great Movie Ride first opened up, um, the the way the gangster took over the the ride vehicle, you know, he'd come out with, with his guns flashing and right. you know say some stuff to the tour guide and then actually shoot the tour guide right. and the tour guide. Had this ripple weight pocket on his uh, shirt with a little blood splat underneath of it. And he would do this, you know, over the top dramatic. It was obviously, you know, very funny. <laughs> they, right. they, you know, fall over a, a railing onto a mattress down below and, yep. you know, be out the scene. Well, I think they realized that at some point it probably wasn't a good idea to be shooting people inside the attractions. Yeah, cast <laughs> members. So, so they 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 wanted to to take that out and mm-hmm. one of the things that i did when i was working on the staging was put in very clear directions about you know details as far as like how to hold the gun, where to point the gun when you're being
1: right. you know
2: when when it's being shot um things like that where you know how how to give guests the best sight line mm-hmm. um, so where to stand and, and you know create the best show yeah um you know, the, the the gangster, the bandit, never from that point forward shot the gun towards a guest or right. towards the tour guide or towards any human, for, for that matter. Right. They would always shoot either in the air or towards the ground or mm-hmm. something like that. So yeah. yeah.
3: Um, it's even like the stormtroopers today are always holding their gun upwards. Right. They never point yeah. them at any guest ever. Right. So Yeah. Right. And very interesting. Yeah, I do remember... Yeah. Uh, you know, so many iterations of that attraction. Um, yeah. It's, it you know, it was it it was always well, it felt like it was always different. <laughs> yeah. You know, because it it did depend on who was the cast member leading the show. You know, because uh, yeah. sometimes you felt like they were just you know going through the steps, um, and then others yeah. you know had a little huh. bit more heart into it.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: I'll I'll tell you something really kind of interesting. Um, First of all, the the cast members that worked in the Great Movie Ride were, you know, there are a couple of attractions like the Jungle Cruise Skippers or Mm -hmm. the Haunted Mansion hosts and the hostesses. You know, those kind of roles are very iconic within the park. And the cast members that work in those roles tend to bond together. And even after they move on, either within their Disney career or afterwards, they stay in touch for a long time. Yes. There's a very strong bond, um, but the point I was going to make to, to your observation about you know having different levels of performance. One of the things that I did when, I, at, at the same time I was plusing the script and, and the staging is, I actually wrote backstories for the gangster and the bandit and actually oh, wow. the tour guide character as well. Yeah. Nothing that the guests ever saw, right. but but. You know, when the new cast member was brought in, you know, and trained, they were given, you know, the backstory of the gangster who grew up on the streets of Chicago, picking tourist pockets and, you know, uh, running booze for Al Capone and and all that kind of thing. And the same thing for for the Western Bandit. And all of that was to hopefully kind of be able to put them in the mindset of those characters and to give more of a consistent show, um, if you will. Right. Um, right. so yeah, right. uh, uh, there's a lot of thought uh, of stuff like that, that goes into the attractions that a lot of people wouldn't even necessarily think of, but, but it's very cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: I know there's I, a, Oh, uh, go ahead. I, I, I know there's never, a, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's a couple of, no, uh, let me say something. <laughs> I know two guys that are former, uh, movie ride a uh, host and uh there's right. this huge large facebook group where yes they still get go and yes. eat and have dinner and yes. cocktails and go out yes uh one guy is making the thing from the egyptian scene you know where you touch the thing yes they're making yes. that that glows in the dark i'm like all right wow if, if, you guys are really taking your is- work home with you if you want to see something really cool, they, they actually, we did,
2: because I'm kind of like an honorary member of that group, so they actually did during the Great Movie Ride Pandemic Edition, where they had
3: I heard former about that.
2: cast members, and, and actually I, I contributed a little bit too, um, recreated every single, not only every single scene within the attraction itself, mm-hmm. but all the movie clips from the pre- pre-show. pre Um wow. Remember you will watch like the yep. previews? Yep. Um, and the, the trailers. and then at the end the beautiful montage wow. um was completely scene by scene to scene was reproduced. Wow. And you know, in, in my case I did like the dirty dancing lift. I, mm-hmm. I have like Woody and, and uh um Buzz Lightyear little toys <laughs> and, and you yeah, know that's um and then I gave my I, I actually rewrote the uh the uh speech at the end. Mm -hmm. um the operational speech to you know now thanks for running the great movie ride don't forget to give your tour guide you know thunderous applause and remember me that that whole spiel was mine so so i got to reproduce that for the
1: and
2: and if you search on youtube for great movie ride pandemic edition um you can see that someone else actually did a very cool side-by-side video of our recreation of the end montage next to The uh, the actual one. Wow. And
3: it's, yeah, very fun. (laughs) So one last question, and then John's got one. Why do you think they never updated the movies in there? Because at some point, you know, nobody – the kids today wouldn't understand, like, Alien or, you know, Singing in the Rain or John Wayne. Who the hell is that, you know? (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, you know, we always ask ourselves, why didn't they ever update the movies in there to make it more current with the Decade? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I I think there
2: are a couple reasons. One is licensing issues. Um, uh, yeah. they You know, everything... Was, if it wasn't a Disney movie, they were MGM movies, obviously. Right. Um, yeah. So um, I, I think there was some of that involved with it. Um, mm. I think part of it was that they were looking to kind of keep it in kind of like that older classic kind of movies. Right. Um, right. And I don't think there was... Plus, you know, needless to say, it would be super expensive to like bring in new sets and animatronics and, and things
0: yeah. like that. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Well, you were talking about They're, you know back backstory for the for the ride operators and the gangster and yeah. you know what what I've always found amazing is you know there's always a backstory to everything that Disney does and I think mm. the one that yeah. floored me the most was was I only got to visit pleasure island after its heyday but yeah. but going and discovering the backstory for pleasure island really was yeah. amazing so the the value that you bring teaching people to you know that there's more going on here yeah. than you just see and you're experiencing because that helps yeah. in a lot of different areas in what i'm doing nowadays anyway but but that's just that's yeah. fascinating that you there's so many levels to the Imagineering process when it comes to creating story.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's just a, a, so cool for me, you know, to, to learn their, well, gosh, Meriwether Pleasure was, you know, the founder of Pleasure Island, right? Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, listen, I, I I was a big fan of Disney before I ever worked for them. Let alone became an Imagineer. And mm. after I became an Imagineer in, really kind of started like learning my craft in, in how 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 to do the the work of an engineer. Mm. it um i was only you know every day just being a man i i was working with and what i was learning and from doing and seeing i mean and and i'll tell you one thing is that um it wasn't unusual for like, you know, the, the, some of the older magic to come to Florida and, and, you know, for either for work or business of all, of some of them were still right. working at that time. Yeah. Um, John Hench, I got to walk through Epcot in the magic kingdom with him, which was phenomenal. Wow. Uh, Raleigh Crump, uh, came in, and talked to us and, you know, his son at one point, uh, Chris Crump was worked for WDI and, and yeah. worked in Florida. So, so I got to know Chris a little bit. Um, and whenever these guys would come, they were just so gracious and yeah. and so, you know, wonderful with their time and, and talking to us and, you know, telling us stories and stuff. I mean, yeah, just fantastic. I wish I had, you know, we had iPhones back then, you know, I could have gotten some really cool <laughs> selfies, but. Um, it,
3: or just re- it, start it, yeah. recording it.
2: <laughs> well, I'll tell if you have time. I'll tell you kind of like the really kind of a yeah, go ahead. Sure. it was a very surreal moment. Um, but the very first time after I got hired into Imagineering full time, they sent me out to Glendale, mm-hmm. you know, to fourteen hundred one Flower to the headquarters um, for a combination of work and business to do some stuff out there, and also like a little bit of an orientation mm-hmm. to go out and, and see Imagineering in, in Glendale and what they do and and meet with some folks and stuff. So I got out there and I walked in and I noticed like off to the side in the lobby, there was like a little art exhibit, like three rows of, you know, boards with, with all these uh pieces of artwork um stuck up on them. And I kept wanting to like go check it out and see what that was. I figured, well, if it's, you know, in the lobby here, it's gotta be something kind of cool. And I, I just never had time. I, I was just so busy. So, Finally, on my very last day, I was on my way out heading to the airport, and I said, you know, I'm going to take a couple minutes, and I stopped, and I went over to to check it out, and I'm, like, looking, and uh, I'm going up and down the rows, and and I turned a corner, and there was another couple there looking at the stuff, and the guy turns around, and uh, it was Mark Davis. Wow. (laughs) Mark with his wife, Alice. Wow. Um, a <laughs> legend herself. Yeah. And all of the artwork were Mark's original artwork, his concept drawings for Pirates of the Caribbean and the Jungle Cruise and the Haunted Mansion. And, you know, it's like, what do you think of this stuff? And I was kind of like, oh, it's okay, Mark. You know, it's not too bad. He kind of chuckled <laughs> in. It, it was, you know, I, I was amazed I could even breathe.
1: To be honest. Yeah.
2: But it, it was just a very surreal moment because,
1: yeah.
2: you know, there I was as a young imagineer, talking to certainly a legendary imagineer, right. looking at him, you know, reviewing his own work, asking me, you know, hey, how do you like it, you know? Yeah. And, and it was, it was just a wonderful, precious uh, memory for me to yeah. to have.
3: Yeah, it, it's interesting to you talk about that because I, you know, even like at you know, destination D or D twenty three, you know, when they have the panels and you know. The Imagineers come out. I sometimes I feel like they're ambassadors to not only Imagineering but the brand of Disney and the work of yeah. the attractions and things like that. You know, sometimes I feel bad for like Tony Baxter because, like, I don't. know. They're like, hey, let's drag out Tony and he'll talk about you know all the fun things he's done <laughs> and tell uh, you know another generation of inspiring people yeah. you know how to yeah. how to do this. But you know, I think that from what I've gathered from most of the ones I've spoke to is they enjoy it they like going out and telling people these stories and you know it's always interesting Marty always seemed to be playing it always closest to the vest you know you would ask him a question go I really can't tell you that you know Bob Gurr on the other hand would go oh I'll tell you all about that so it yeah, depended yeah. on who you were talking about, on what kind of version of this story you were going to get, whether it was going to be the truth or some kind of Disney version yeah. of the truth. So, yeah, um, yeah. But that was great that well. you got to, uh, you know, talk to Mark and, uh, you know, see his art on display. Wow. Wow. That's,
0: yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's so much nostalgia, mm. you know, and that's, that's the big word. I mean, you're, you're talking about Mark Davis, Alice Davis. You know, uh, a in her story, yeah. yeah, her story, especially sure. with uh, you know, the story that she tells about growing up and never having any dolls, uh, to Walt yeah. Disney telling her now all these dolls are yours, yeah, and and all your dolls will make impacts on other little girls. I mean, it's and, and boys too, but I mean, it's just it's that nostalgia factor right. that 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 Tony and I love so much. So I, sure. I have to ask this question. Uh, and we've recently seen this with the great movie ride and we're about sure. to see it with, you know, other attractions that you've worked on. How does it feel as, you know, someone who works so intimately with an attraction to see it either completely overhauled or as in the great movie yeah. ride's case, completely removed? How does that, how does that affect you? I mean, is, is there a lot of emotion? Yeah. I mean, obviously there's emotion, but how does that work on you?
2: Yeah. It's, um. It's interesting. Part of it is that, you know, that's part of the game, right? That, right. you know, that it's kind of, you know, eventually everything changes. So the fact that I've still got a few little bits and pieces of me <laughs> hanging around out there, you know, I'll, I'll take what I can get. Um But that said, you know, I mean, listen, you can't work on these, you know, beloved attractions without putting your heart and soul into it. And, mm. um, you know, in my case, it was really, fun. It, it was kind of funny, I tell this to a lot of people, but like I would, you know, go out to the parks and, and bring, you know, friends or guests or whatever out there. And we'd be walking through the studios and, you know, I'd say, well, you know, I worked on the animation tour, but that's not here anymore. Or, you know, I worked on this shuttle tour and that's not here. But I would always take solace in the fact that I also worked on The Great Movie Ride and they're never going to take the great movie right away because that's like the marquee attraction And then they announced, Oh, we're taking the great movie right away. It's like that, what? that, that one stung yeah, a little bit because yeah. it's, you know, it's nothing else. You know, I won't lie and say there isn't a local of Vigos saying it's kind of cool to have that public legacy out there. And, mm-hmm. and more than that, I just, it's just so cool to be able to watch the guests. Yeah. Um, Enjoying stuff that you work on,
1: right?
2: Uh, it, it really, and and I'll tell you something that's kind of a, a another fun little story is that when <laughs> the very first time I, I went out there uh, to ride Mickey and Minnie's Run Runaway Railway, right? Um, it, it it was a really interesting experience. I actually uh, w- one of the things that I'll, I I do now is, as a former Imagineer is I'll walk people through the parks and. You know kind of give them a tour of the parts from an imagineering perspective so i just finished the tour in the morning and i figured well i've got some time you know let me go check it out and right. it
1: took me almost
2: gosh probably almost a year to get up you know the, the nerve it, it was just that one was a little bit tough yeah um
1: yeah
2: and so i get in line and i'm wearing my polo shirt and i've got my man it was cool so i had an imagineering jacket and you know, I start just chatting with people in line, and, and obviously they're, you know, were you an Imagineer? And, and you right. know, so I told them I, I was, and what I'd done on the Great Movie Ride, and you know, how, they, they they asked me the same thing: how, how did it feel? You know, when right. when they changed it over. And I said, well, it's, it's still tough. You know, sometimes I, you know, like right now, I, I feel a little emotional. I'm not going to lie to you. And, yeah. You know, sometimes I just feel like crying. And,
1: right.
2: you know, they they were so, first of all, they were just so appreciative
1: right.
2: of being an Imagineer in, in the work I did. And I'm not saying that in a, you know, any kind of like, you know, greater than that kind of way or anything. It's just mm-hmm. very nice, warm sure. kind of feeling. And, and then they were very appreciative of it and loved the great movie ride and, and shared stories about that with me. Yeah. Um, and, and it was very, very special. And by the time we finally got there, you know, they kept asking, are you okay? You know, and I was like, yeah, no, I'm fine. <laughs> and, and we rode the thing. And then after we came out, they all, you know, came up. And it's like, you know, let's
1: get a picture and everything.
2: Right. So, um, you know, the, the great movie ride might not be there anymore but i know it lives on as corny as it sounds you know lives on in people's hearts and and
1: oh yeah stuff oh yeah so um.
3: yeah yeah you know it it was a it was a great attraction because it was you know part show part animatronic it was air conditioned you know everybody likes that part you know you (laughs) got out of the sun and uh you know it was just fun um you know, my unique. yeah, yeah, my kids, you know, would uh, crawl underneath the seat when they were young with the alien thing, yeah, uh, which yeah. was always fun. But you know, uh, right. I think it had something, a uh, little bit of something for everybody, you know. And then yeah. at the end, when it you know shows all the real current kind of movies, you know, everybody's yeah. like, oh, I like that, I like that, so that, yeah, you know? yeah. so yeah, yeah. It's and then uh, you know, a couple
2: of, like little Easter eggs that were in there, which yeah. were really fun too. You know, the hieroglyphics yeah. with Mickey and yeah. Yeah. Like
3: that, I like the way, uh, well, the pre show, the way you you know go into the queue area that was yeah. a nice little interesting touch. You know, the whole wall yeah. blowing up and all that kind of stuff, yeah, so yeah, 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 Um, tell us a little bit about what you did for the Jungle Cruise. I know you, you mentioned the, the radio announcements, uh, what was that all about, Yeah, so, um, the
2: Jungle Cruise has. You know, that queue, um, I guess it's got I don't know if historical context is is mm. the right word, but that was one of the first if not the first, really kind of like first steps at at Disney creating a more immersive kind of a queue, right? Yeah. Um, uh, before that it was just ropes and turnstiles and, and then you would get on the boat and off you would go. But yep. You know, they decide they wanted to theme it like the jungle outpost, so they brought in all these props and everything.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And um and while you're standing in line you hear like this nineteen it's kinda of nondescript thirties, forties, let's say, radio broadcast coming in over the speakers with these um, you know, uh old big band kind of music. Mm-hmm.
1: Um and
2: and then you've got the narrator, Albert Awal, the host of the show, who makes these funny announcements. So so, I got to write you know some of that scripting, but um, another story I, I just haven't have one or two stories. But but kind <laughs> that, kind of a cool story that that again kind of touches my heart is you always hear about like Imagineers kind of sneaking their name or you know bits and pieces of them into things and and. Right. Whether or not that's condoned or not, I, I can't officially say or not. But at one point, um, when when they were getting ready, I remember the show set designer came around our office, and she said, "You know, she she explained and showed us some, some drawings of, of what the queue was going to look like with this jungle outpost." And she said, "If any of you guys have any like little props or anything like that that maybe, you know, you think would would work in there, um, mm-hmm. bring them in and." Maybe we'll, you know, be able to use them. And um, my dad, uh, w- when he was younger, was, was an avid pipe smoker and had a really cool collection. And, you Ooh. know, he had given it up uh, a long time before that. But um, I I stole a bunch of his, well, I actually asked him, but, <laughs> you know, got a bunch of his really cool uh you know, hand carved pipes and stuff like that. And wow. so, somewhere in the Jungle Cruise queue, um, and, and to this day, I haven't been able to get my eyes on them. So, it's possible they never made it in, but I like to think they did. There's some of my dad's pipes in there. Oh, wow. Um, which, you know, is especially now is, you know, I, I lost my dad about five years ago or so, mm-hmm. but, um, it, it's yeah. just, you know, a really nice little. Kind of like again, I use that word legacy quite a bit when I talk sure. about Disney, but um, you know, just to kind of know that's kind of a, a very cool, well, right. personal right. thing.
3: So, me. so you wrote the script, and then they got voices or a person to record the actual. Yes. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Okay. I
3: want and... my voice. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like you're saying, that was all done in Glendale. Yeah. 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 Good. Interesting. Interesting. I, I know there's a recording studio here in Florida. Sorry, John. <laughs> I think by the Animal well, kingdom. Isn't there a
1: recording
2: yeah. studio? Well, we used to go over to Disney Ideas, um, hmm. which is right there on property. You know, it used yeah. to be the post-production house on the back lot of the studios, which right. uh, which is now obviously long gone. But yeah um when they were doing production, they have beautiful facilities. As a matter of fact, I remember one time we were doing, if if I remember this correctly, we were doing pickup lines for I want to say Pigment. Oh wow. And the guy that came in, uh I, I think they were just a couple of, like temporary operational lines or something like that. Um mm-hmm. uh, it it wasn't a major enhancement, but but we were had had to get some pickup lines of Pigment, you know, our little purple buddy. So um, I remember the guy that came in to do the the, the lines. Um, he walked in and he looked like a biker man, this big grizzly kind of guy with this big old you know beard and like he would like kill you in a second if you met him in a dark alley at night. And um, then he starts you know going off into hey you know it's pigment you know and the pigment voice and everything and I probably had to like redo those takes several times because I was just like dying.
0: I was like. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, okay. that's crazy! Wow. So, hey Brian, was there a was there ever a project that you caught wind of that you really wanted to work on, but you just the cards just didn't pan out for you? The stars didn't align.
2: Um i I wouldn't necessarily say that. Um, I mean, there were some projects. Well, Star Tours would have been kind of fun for me to work on, um, but but that was already done by the time I got into imagining what I will say is that there were a couple of projects I was given that I did do that never saw the light of day, which oh, wow. isn't unusual. And a lot of these are like smaller enhancements. And one example I've given before is for Pirates of the Caribbean. I came up with this idea where I thought it'd be really fun to have, like as the guests are going through the the castle, right? The the mm-hmm. uh, queue area indoors. Um, they, they've always played, like, you know, Yo-Ho-Ho, it's Pirate's like for me, and music and stuff. Well, I came up with this whole script of, like, pirate sayings, like, I keep it moving, ladies. the captain will want to be seeing you in the dungeon. Right. And, you know, thing, things like that. And, you know, quit your grumbling, you liver, lily belly, whatever. You know, just, just all these pirate, yeah. you know, yeah. phrases and stuff. Yeah and then it would be mixed in with like you know sounds of water dripping and bats flying and stuff like that. I thought it was beautifully uh appropriate and yeah. you know very atmospheric and for, for whatever reason it just never you know it just never happened. There's a million reasons why something like that couldn't
3: have happened. Yeah. um but yeah, that is one cue that uh it's probably big enough to do some kind of interaction and there are points where I think they could have done something, you know, interactive. Yeah um you know and like you're saying you know put some you know more personality to the queue (laughs) yeah yeah give it a little bit more life (laughs) but i I thought it was a good idea yeah i agree with you i agree i always like a good uh story in the queue um i think this is a good place for us to kind of wrap because we have some other things that uh i don't want to kind of go down that rattle quite yet uh but there's some sure. other things that we want to do
2: i'll be here every month
3: <laughs> yeah exactly uh yeah. so tell everybody brian where they can find you uh you know shameless plug anything you got going websites podcasts well, books whatever you got the, going. the
2: first thing you know the first <laughs> thing i'll say is if you don't subscribe to wdw uh magazine make sure you subscribe i have a uh Monthly column in there called Pigments of My Imagineering. And every month I uh, write from an Imagineer's perspective on something different. Um, so that's a lot of fun. And actually, we have a uh, special edition. Um, I don't know if you guys knew this yet or not, because it was only recently announced. Yeah. But there's a special edition that they're putting out uh, that's all about the Haunted Mansion. It's everything. Oh, wow. it, and I wrote a little um, deep dive on Raleigh Crumb's Museum of the Weird and the history of that and oh, yeah. everything, which was a lot of fun.
3: Yeah, we had Raleigh um, on and he kind of uh, talked about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, Uh, he's a fascinating. I think he's a little bit on the edge. (laughs) He,
2: you know, the thing I remember, I I remember, you know, he just had a big smile that climbed up a room. um, Yeah, and and just a very big personality. Yes, just just the nicest guy. Yeah, he was
1: great. Yeah, Yeah.
2: Um, but but anyway, so so that's where my column is. But okay, good. um, So so shameless plugs. The first one I'll give is my website, wdwithme.com. So w-d-w-i-t-h-m-e, wdwithme.com. And if you go there, that will have links to all my social media. Um, if, if you, uh, Google Brian Collins Imagineer for LinkedIn or search yeah. that, um, you'll find me on LinkedIn. Uh, please connect with me on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I have a Facebook page called the Mouse and the Imagineer. Um, so please come join our page, the Mouse and the Imagineer. Um, I also, if you're an educator, I have a really strong education background and I'm very passionate about education. So I have a Facebook page dedicated to teachers called uh, Educate to Love Disney. So oh, cool. please find that, um, you know, and if people want to email me, um, go to my website, learn about my tours or learn about having, you know, a private dinner with an Imagineer former Imagineer, I should say.
1: Right.
2: Um, you can you know get information and put that right there, so that's yeah. that's pretty much it. But I like to be liked, I like to be followed, and <laughs> not in the creepy kind of way, but in, but in the
3: social media, From a kind social way media, and, and media
0: distant, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, hey, if you're listening and you'd like to see Brian's uh, writings and the articles for WDW Magazine, uh, they've been very gracious and they've created a very special coupon code that uh, we wanted to share with you. Uh, you can use the code Disney Parks Podcast for $10 off an annual digital edition, which is pretty cool. Uh, the code won't work on the month to month digital subscription or the print edition. It's $10 off the annual digital edition. Uh, and it's only active on this purchase, uh, on the purchase page, which I'm assuming is yeah. www.magazine.com.
3: Yeah, www.magazine. You click on annual edition and uh,
0: it only works on that page. So that's cool. They never gave me a discount.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the joys of being the talent, right?
3: Use the code right. Disney Parks Podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh Brian, it's been uh an honor. It's been a pleasure yeah, and yeah. uh I'm excited to see what's going to be coming down the pipeline for the next couple of months and uh, and beyond. Uh there's so many great stories. It's it's a lot of fun and I and I hope that everybody out there is listening. Uh, Let's know that they uh, love having Brian on because he's going to be with us, and it's going to be an awesome ride. So, thank you so very much for joining yeah. us.
2: Yeah, and and if you don't like me, then my name is uh
0: um,
1: <laughs>
0: Newmontel, no, that's yeah, sure. yeah, whatever, that that'll work. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, we want to say thank you so much to Brian as well as you guys for listening. And hey, come find us uh, all over uh, the internet at uh, WDW park uh, no sorry come find us all (laughs) over the internet at that's my own website uh make sure to come find us all over the internet facebook instagram youtube all at disney parks podcast join us on disneyparkspodcast.com and hey as we always like to say if we don't see you online we'll see you in the disney parks podcast